welcome to the Greenlight Podcast, an audio breakdown of the regulatory barriers to social equity in the cannabis industry by Marijuana Matters. My name is Deanna Benjamin, and I'm your host. So, you want to be an ally. Wonderful. Now what? Where do you begin? What are your first steps? How do you avoid falling into counterproductive patterns that ultimately cause more harm than good? Where do you find the information you need to be truly useful? We're using the next few episodes to consider these questions by talking to people who work in the cannabis space and to identify themselves as allies. In part four of our ally series, I got to chat with Travis Moyer, Chief Legal Officer at Philo, a compliance software company working in highly regulated industries like cannabis. Keep listening to learn more about the lifelong journey Travis has chosen to show up on as an ally wherever he goes. Let's get into it. Hi, everybody. Today I am here with Travis Moyer, Chief Legal Officer at Philo, a compliance software company working in highly regulated industries like the cannabis industry. And we're going to be talking about allyship and social equity. Travis, we're so happy that you're with us. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here and so uh, excited to have the opportunity. Um, I love the team over there. I uh, love Khadija and everybody. So very excited to be uh, a participant. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard not to love Khadija. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the first question that I want to ask you is, um, can you tell us about the moment when social equity became important to you? So people who don't see you right now, um, Travis is a white man. <laughs> and social equity often is something that is meant to benefit people of color who've been targeted by the war on drugs. So why is this an issue that you are taking on yourself? Yes, this was like a really interesting question to me because, you know, for me, like I couldn't pinpoint, like, I don't know if there's ever been like a realization moment where social equity was like, I determined it was important. For me, it was always important. Um, And kind of, it caused me to look back at my own life and um, you know, I grew up in the east side of Rogers Park here in Chicago. It's a pretty diverse community. Got a, as a result, a ton of friends, developed a ton of deep relationships with people who are not like me, who are diverse. Um, and so I think, you know, for me, what I, in thinking about this question, really realized like, the realization moment for me wasn't that something had to be done and that social equity was important. It was that um, there was like, it was that moment when I realized people I knew and loved were being treated differently, right? And the, and the fact of like taking action and doing something about that was no brainer. Like that's second nature, of course. Um, so I guess that's the way I would like view my own realization moment um, was that, you know, very, very young age, like, you know, early grade school being like, hey, this isn't what, why, why is this different? Mm-hmm. And then, but there was never like a realization that social equity was important to me. It's always like, it was always important to me. I guess it was the moment I realized that there was that difference that needed to be fixed, um, that that inequity um, that needed to be fixed. Yeah. yeah, that I I love hearing that answer because it it's an answer that I hear in different um, forms from a lot of people. It really has to do with who is in your community, who are you witnessing around you who mm-hmm. you love and care about. And when you love and care about people who are diverse and not necessarily in the same position as you, 
then you take on their burdens. That's just, it's not like, like you said, it's not like, a, oh, this is the next thing on my checklist. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like a natural response. But I'm curious, um, just hearing about, you know, your background, growing up with a diverse group of friends, always kind of seeing this as mm -hmm. important. I am curious to know, do you remember even when you were younger, like when you realized that not everybody was treated the same way? Was there like a specific thing that happened or was it just kind of like a slow dawning on you maybe I think it may be a slow dawning you know um I don't want to give myself a lot of credit as like being you know this very wise young child um so I you know I don't think there's like a I don't remember there being like a very distinct dramatic moment that like really catalyzed it for me I think it's more of that you know slow oncoming and realization and you know as your brain's developing as a kid like putting together these complex issues isn't always mm -hmm it's not like a, it just happens. It's kind of a slow bleed. Um, but I'd say, you know, part of what probably led me to start having that realization is, you know, I went to a, a school that was, um, was a religious school, but it's very focused on, um, you know, just being a good person, right. Instilling ethics and morals, um, and viewing the world with, uh, an ethics and morals first view. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, was partly for me, if I'm, you know, was part of that natural um, process of the realization event and um, for me. Yeah, I think, I think that's helpful for people to hear because I think some people might feel like they need to have some dramatic event occur for them to really start to care about these issues. But what you're saying is no, you can just, as you are growing and maturing for your, you know, your entire life, Become, come to care more about others because that's just what it means to be an ethical and moral person. Um, that's what I'm hearing your answer. And I, I totally, I mean, just, yeah, it's the world I want to live in. I don't, you know, uh, what is it? Gandhi, I think, I don't know if this is, you know, misquoted or what, but, you know, be the change you want to see. Right. Yeah. So it's pretty simple when you think about it. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's a great quote that kind of transitions into my next question, which is what does that look like being the change? So really what is allyship when people mm -hmm. hear, you know, I'm an, I'm an ally or I want to be an ally. What do you envision that that looks like? Yeah. So, you know, simplifying it, right. There's the internal process and there's the external process. Um, and I'd say, you know, for most people, it starts with that internal process of um, really starting with the self-examination, right? And that's a continual process. It's not like you just do it once and all of a sudden you figured out all the, the complexities of the world, but you know, putting yourself in a position to constantly be, I'd say critical of yourself and um, to you know, develop an, um, an understanding of your own implicit, like unconscious biases yeah. and um, you know, it's something that I continue to do every day. Kind of go back, ask yourself, how did you handle this situation? Um, you know, is there something you could have been better at? Or, um, you know, did you implement things that you've now later learned um, that were helpful or you think were the right thing? And kind of constantly playing that internal, pro going through that internal process. And I think importantly, as part of self-examination is this education process, right? So, um, you know, it's important to, first and foremost, like, for me as a, a white male, like my job is to listen, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't know the answer, right? And 
I could spend a you know, million years researching and thinking, and I'm not going to know the answer without listening to communities that are actually impacted that listen and let people tell you what the issues are, um, you know, tell you how you can help and fix it. Um, you know, being open and, you know, what do they say? You had two ears and one mouth, right? Spend, so spend most of your time listening. Um, and for me, that's, you know, how I would define it, I guess, the internal process, right? For me. Um, then there's the external part, right? You got to take action. Um, and then, and that action isn't, you know, always a, doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be a small thing. Um, but I think an important part of being an ally is not just sitting in your house and understanding how, you know, you're privileged and what you can, it's then taking that knowledge of what your privileges are and using that privilege to help those who don't have the same privilege. Right. Um, and so that's how I view allyship. Um, and kind of that three-step, it's self-examination, educate yourself and do something, right? It's okay. that simple, but I guess that difficult for some people. I, I love how you broke it down in steps. I'm a step person. I love mm-hmm. steps. <laughs> and <laughs> I think that that's really it. And that internal work um, is so crucial. And it sounds like you have kind of just been doing that your whole life, but you, it also sounds like you intentionally will reflect um, how are you, I guess if someone's listening and they're thinking, okay, well, I, I want to do this. I'm, I'm doing this internal work. What are the types of actions that you're taking with the position that you have within the cannabis industry and adjacent industry? Um, yeah. How are you using your power and, and what does that look like in your life? Yeah, totally. Yeah. What are my actions? Right. Yeah. Um, cause that's the, you know, where the rubber hits the road, so to say. Um, so, you know, at Philo, I've only been here six weeks, so, um, oh, I guess I'd say give, give me a moment. Um, but you know, you know, social equity is a very important thing to our company. Um, it's one of the key reasons I joined here. Um, but I'd say, you know, looking back in the last few years, um, you know, what I've done specifically in the cannabis industry, you know, when I was at grassroots, so my story built a company called grassroots cannabis. We sold that to Cureleaf. Um, which is now the largest publicly held cannabis company in the world. Um, that's where I was before joining the team at Philo. Um, but, you know, when I was at Grassroots, one of them is we, you know, me and a few other members of the company, we founded our uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion um, committee. You know, it, just, it's not a groundbreaking change, right? But it starts a conversation, right? It, yeah. it starts to make those concepts, those issues a priority in the way that the company thinks and makes it a part of the company's DNA, right? And it, it's a forum to have those conversations. Um, you know, other things, um, I'm on the leadership council of a um, nonprofit here in Chicago called Growing Home. Uh, it's an organization focused on uh, community development and um, employment training uh, in the Inglewood community um, here in Chicago. And um, so one of the things was being an advocate for this charity internally, like, which is doing a lot of the work. Um, this goes back to the concept of, I'm listening to the people growing mm-hmm. home. I'm not telling them what to do. They're telling me what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and being an advocate on behalf of them um, to get over $100,000 in donations just last year from Curaleaf. Mm-hmm. Um, very proud of that and um, super excited what they're doing with, um, you know, their community and, and to improve, um, you know, people's lives. And then um, last, and I think maybe the most um, 
well, I'm hopeful that this is kind of the most impactful is so one of the key skill sets that I've developed in cannabis is being one of the top application um, kind of advisors and writers in the country. Um, did really well at grassroots. We built the whole company organically. Um, great reputation there and did some with Cureleaf as well. Um, and in writing those applications, you know, I have the ability to create, you know, give equity and ownership um, in something at a very low cost, right? So um, much different than going out and buying a license for $100 million, you can apply and you can win a license for in the thousands of dollars, um, which is then worth millions, right? Right. And so it's two applications I'm really proud of, one here in Illinois and then one in Georgia that I've worked on recently that both were um, applications where we were partnering with um, diverse ownership groups. And I led those efforts. I led, um, you know, the writing of the applications, the pulling together all materials and experts, et cetera, everything to, to push those applications forward. So, um, you know, those are two, they're both in process. Georgia hasn't issued yet in Illinois. I think we all know anyone who's tracking Illinois. We're hopeful that it would have issued, you know, at least few months ago, but it's all still in process, Um, but very excited and hopeful um, for those groups and the opportunity um, to receive a license. Um, Additionally, uh, I've done some pro bono consulting work, um, worked with a team uh, out of Massachusetts, a brand called Elevate. Um, They have a couple of dispensaries out there and have been looking um, in Illinois. So that was actually something passed on to me by uh, a member of the Cureleaf team, a guy named Patrick Johnson, who works with them pretty closely. Patrick asked me to help with them. So um, I helped on that. And I'm actually talking uh, with your team at Marijuana Matters um, to hopefully participate as a advisor to some of your um, inaugural boot camp uh, participants. Yay. So yeah, no, I'm really excited about that. Um, so I think, you know, we're looking at um, some of the, the entrepreneurs in your program are looking at opportunities in Mississippi and New York and New Jersey. I'm sure they're looking at other opportunities too. So um, I hope to help, um, you know, leverage my skill set um, and, you know, create true equity and ownership opportunities. Um, so, so that's where rubber hits the road recently for me and cannabis. Yeah. yeah, there are two things that you said. I mean, I love what you said, but there are two things that really stood out to me. The first was early in your answer when you said that one of the reasons that you decided to work at Philo was because social equity was important to them. And I I hope people hear that because that is a way to leverage your power. You bring skills to a company. Companies want you as in you, Travis, but even our listeners, um, companies want to hire you. And if you make social equity a priority for you, then that becomes important to the company. So I I think sometimes we don't think about how our own desires as employees, um, as consumers (laughs) actually can impact the way that an industry shapes itself. So I I really appreciate that. And then I love what you said at the end about leveraging your skill set. You're not out here trying to create an entirely new skill set. You're using the skills that you already have to help people who have maybe less resources, less access um, than what you already have. And I I think that that is just so helpful for people to hear that that's it. Like, what do you have in your hands and how can you use that? Totally, yeah, no, it's, um, I mean, like action doesn't have to be a big thing. Action is, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just about taking action. I think that's the first and foremost. Don't don't let uh, the size or the, you know, this desire to have a grand impact 
stop you from taking action in whatever you can do. Um, things snowball, right? They, they can become big. Yeah, I love that. It doesn't have to be a big thing. I hope because that is that's a fear. Um, and speaking of fears, have you ever been afraid that um, you were going to encounter backlash or have you actually encountered backlash for people who are listening when we're talking about social equity applicants? We're talking about most of the time people who have cannabis related convictions on their record or people who are related to those who have them people who have been targeted by the war on drugs so people who have been ensnared into the criminal justice system you could look at those people and call them criminals and a lot of people do and so there is resistance to this idea um, that social equity should even exist so my question for you travis is how do you deal with people who might approach the issue that way? And, and have you ever wrestled with that internally? And how have you come to the other side of that? Or how do you respond to people who have that kind of argument? Yeah, so I, I think this is kind of the question of, you know, has fear stopped me, I guess, from, yeah. you know, um, ever being an, uh, an ally, right? And, and pushing forward and, and putting action behind my beliefs and, um, you know, simply hell no like in but you know i also recognize though i'm privileged in that i can even say that right mm -hmm. like that's inherently um part of my privilege right that i feel because that's not the situation for everyone um you know for you know some people i think and you said this earlier an easy way to handle that at the front end right is joining somewhere that aligns with your um your expectations your morals your values right? right um so like where i'm at right now here at philo um you know it was immediately apparent to me like you can look at our team and you can see diversity um and inclusion on every level of our company mm -hmm. board level the c-suite level across the company you know like that that, that to me speaks a ton about the values and morals because there's a lot of company, right, that they'll, it's easy to talk, right? Yeah. It's easy to say things. Um, it's easy to get that corporate marketing speak. It's hard to do things, right? And this is a company where I'm at right now that um, before I even joined, I knew that this is a company based on actions, action oriented and, you know, really putting something behind their beliefs. Um, and, you know, being here in the last six weeks has only, um, you know, emphasized that even more for me. So um, I'd say in my personal situation here, you know, that's the way I avoided the fear, right? Um, or, you know, um, candidly, I, again, going back to my privilege, like, I don't, I don't really have that fear. I just quit, right? I don't want to be a part of a company that mm. is pushing a narrative that I don't agree with and I don't believe with in. Um, but um, I'm lucky, you know, um, I'm very lucky and with a great team here. And, and that's how, kind of how I, I position myself. Um, and, making those decisions to avoid that fear, to not have it be a part of my decision process. Um, li life's too short to work with bad people. That's what I'd say. <laughs> I like uh, that. And I think that's so practical. And again, I mean, I really like practical advice. You don't have to stay in community or at a company or in relationship with people who hold beliefs that are harmful to the community you're in. And I, you are a part of 
the community of the world, like whatever your skin color looks like, whoever mm-hmm. you, you know, however you, you present your gender, however you practice your faith, whatever it is, you, you belong to this community of earthlings, <laughs> like we need each other. So um, I love that, that it's like, okay, where can I put my, my talents, my resources, where can I, you know, help to build and create that's in alignment with my beliefs rather than fighting against, you know, people who aren't even listening. I think that's such a smart way to use your resources, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. <laughs> yeah. That's really good. Um, so you're, you know, you're on the C-suite at Philo. You have a platform. Clearly, you have built something great. Um, for yourself, you know, all the organizations that you've been involved in. So some people might be listening, thinking, well, you know, I'm not Travis, I don't have that position. I don't have that, you know, that title. What would you say to those people who feel like they don't have the resources required to, to step into the role of ally? All actions matter. Mm. Like every action you take is meaningful, right? um it, across the board in your life you know it's um every person has the ability to create a much larger change than they think they're capable of yeah. you don't know how that just something as simple as like opening a door for someone smiling at someone you know having a conversation can impact not just that person but kind of down the chain right yeah. it sets that person in a good mood or teaches them something that they can then teach someone else in like the, how that small action can affect so many others um, or so many other things, right? So every action you take matters. Um, and as a, you know, I've only been with this company for six weeks, right? So um, this platform is new for me, right? Yeah. This, um, and my involvement with um, nonprofits and organizations or um, you know, people in the community didn't start today, right? It's been a lifelong journey. Um, It's always been part of me. So um, I'd say don't discount yourself. Um, Nobody who's in a position of power started there from day one. All very, very few people, right? Most people have to work for it. They've got to, you know, um, they get there eventually. And um, there's no better time to start than today um, it doesn't have to be that grand action. It doesn't have to be this, you know, change the world moment. That small moment can be the change the world moment. You just don't know it. Um, so don't, don't ever let, you know, that scare you. Um, yeah, you, you heard Travis, you heard what he said. <laughs> it doesn't have <laughs> to be this huge epic thing it can be something as small as supporting a grassroots organization or even smaller just reading getting informed going back to that question of you know how to be an ally um and i'd say one thing you know if i can kind of add to it if people are having difficulty maybe you know understanding what that action they can take is Mm -hmm. listen you know this this is the education part of things listen you know pe- there are people out there who will tell you what you can do right and they're not all actions that only certain people can take um so um a lot of groups a lot of very uh intelligent um groups focused on the issues of social equity um that you can listen to and and they'll tell you it's, it's freely available you know 
Um, yeah, that's that's really good. Just listening to the information and the needs that are are right there and often right in our faces. And and um, because we're looking for that big step, we miss the small, very urgently needed step that's right in front of us. Mm -hmm. um, Travis, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your insight and your experience with us. I think this is going to be something that's really useful for people to hear. And what, what we at Marijuana Matters really want people to hear through what Travis is sharing and through all of our episodes is that, is it kind of that message that you keep repeating for us, Travis, which is that it doesn't need to be this big action and that you can start anywhere and all actions matter. Action is what matters. It doesn't have to be this huge thing. So Travis, I just thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you for having me. Really, really um... I just feel uh, so happy that I got the opportunity to speak with you today. So thank you. That's it for today's episode of the Greenlight Podcast. If you support what we're doing, subscribe to our podcast and leave us a five-star review. That'll help others find us and learn more about social equity in the cannabis industry. You can find out more about Marijuana Matters by checking out our website, marijuanamatters.org. And you can follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at Marijuana Matters DC. Thanks for joining us. Talk soon.